In that moment where I was like, this whole thing's either going to fall apart or I can step in and be a leader in this moment, I stretched myself is what I'll say. And I also realized how much growth happens when you live in that space, where when you are stretched to the end of your capacity, you still say yes and you push forward. Hey there, I'm Mark Minner of First Person Advisors. Welcome to Human Resolve the podcast designed for the unsung heroes of the workplace, HR professionals like you. Each time we gather, we cover the highs and the lows, hits and misses, and everything in between. Today, we've got a very special guest, Adam Weber. And Adam, we're going to take a second here and embarrass you, promote you early on here. But Adam is now an accomplished author. In addition to being a co-founder and chief people officer at Amplify, he has a new book out as of September, Lead Like a Human, Practical Steps to Building Highly Engaged Teams. And oh, by the way, if that's not enough, he's also a 2020 rising star in human resources as named by Business Insider. We also have Matt Henry, who is first person's chief people officer here to chat with us today. But Adam, welcome to Human Resolve, and it is a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Mark. It's good to be here. I appreciate getting time to spend with both of you. By the way, one of the things I love about you, Adam, is you're just so positive and so gosh darn likable that I know that our listeners today will hear that and feel that, the authenticity in which you bring each and every day. So I'm looking forward to the conversation. But it's interesting now, you know, you and I have known each other. Now you're now I'm talking to a famous author. <laughs> a wonderful book that you've written that's gotten a lot of traction here early on. And I think it's been a really unique year. So this is an even more apropos book in a year like this. But what inspired you to write this, Adam? And how do you feel now um, after the release and after some of the publicity tours that you've been on? Yeah, well... One, thank you. I actually started writing the book before COVID hit. <laughs> and it was interesting. Like I was, you know, I was trying to do it in relatively short order, like about uh, six months was my original time that I had budgeted, like allocated to write it. And then COVID hits as I'm about 75% done. And I was like, well, I just, now I know the world just fundamentally shifted is does what I have to say still matter? <laughs> and I think what I realized was that if anything, I think it matters more. I think COVID in many ways took the workforce and it fast forwarded a lot of changes that needed to happen anyways. And that's really what the book is all about. Like why I was inspired to write the book was that I've seen this transition that happened in the workforce, like leadership and management was really born out of the industrial revolution, world war II, top down command and control. And that was what I experienced early in my career as well. And it was, there was one leader. So I like job to job, first 10 years of my career, hopping around entry level jobs, one leader changed my whole career. The very first day, his name's Michael. And the very first day I showed up at, at his company, he says, hey, I don't care when you show up. I don't care where you work. What I do care, I actually think you're talented. And if you could set your mind to it, I'm curious what you could do for our business. And like that unleashed in me this freedom to actually unlock my true potential. And really, when I then, you know, fast forward a couple of years later, started a business, first got into management, for some reason, 
I didn't become a Michael style manager. I actually became what I call frustrated Frank, who's the manager that's from command and control, top down, authoritative, frustrated. I just didn't know any better. And so I started displaying these patterns and habits that were displayed by all the other managers I've ever had before. And I just had a moment where I was like, you only get one career, you know, like you get one life, like the only one you get is the one you have. And I want to lead differently. I want to lead in a way that I can actually be authentic to who I am. And what happened was when I made that shift, my team just took off. Like that was our first business. The team took off. We ended up being able to sell the business about three years after that transition. And what I realized through that time was like, it's not about your product. It's not about your, you know, all these other things. Like as a leader, you can truly create high performance cultures when you just simply get to know yourself in a way that you actually lead from your authentic whole person. Why is that so tough for people, you think, Adam? People talk about this, this concept of authenticity, and you can academically understand it, but the actual practice of going through that yourself and becoming that authentic leader is so, why is that so difficult for people? I think there's two parts to it. I think one is that it's what's been displayed before. It's all we know. And so we just do what we don't. And, but, and I think with that, I guess the other part is that, and this is actually what inspired me to write the book, was that I think some people just need permission to know that there's a different way. Like they need the practical, both they need the permission and then the practical tools on like, well, how can I actually do it? That's really what it's born out of. Bad leaders create more bad leaders. It's cyclical. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. You've had such an, a unique path, I should say, you know, not every, that's the beauty of business. And that's the beauty of entrepreneurs is there's so many different stories of how you got to where you are. Your journey is a little unique. You think about your role in faith and the career you had there transitioning into the corporate world. How did that help shape you as a leader and the different stops along the way that you, you went on as a background and maybe has helped provide a little bit of a different perspective than other folks you might run into that are leading organizations? Yeah. I mean, I did have a decidedly wandery background. I was a pastor for five years. When I was 25, I became the head pastor of a brand new church. I had like almost 300 people, never given a sermon in my life. And the parallel to me was that this moment I woke up basically on a Sunday. I'll spare you the full details. It's in the book if you want to hear it. But basically by surprise, like I was forced into this role and I, you know, never been in front of people. I'm like 24, 25. And in that moment, that singular moment where I was like, this whole thing's either going to fall apart or I can step in and be a leader in this moment. And I actually watched like people of all ages, like be able to like, I stretched myself in that moment is what I'll say. And I realized one, how little I'd actually stretched myself in my life up to that point, if I'm being very transparent. And I also realized how much growth happens when you live in that space, where when you are stretched to the end of your capacity, you still say yes, and you push forward. And so that really, I think, set in motion a little bit of a change of mindset for me. There's some component to that that's similar, like you're trying to help people become their best, their very best selves. Like that is a that is a central narrative that is carried through, I think, with me, regardless of like, you know, different, whether it was working in a church or whether it's working in the, in the business community. In some ways, like I actually feel way more comfortable in the business. It's a very good fit for who I am. It feels like it's really taps into like the things that I really enjoy. And I like watching, I like watching people grow and watching people develop. And you just get, you're so close to that in business. Like you get to watch people have that moment themselves where they're stretched, kind of pushed to the end of their ability, and then they still push through. 
And Matt, you've seen that too. I mean, you're both in that chief people officer role. And I think one of the things I've observed that's really cool is there's kind of like that in business, a lot of times there's stigmas or there's barriers to people believing what they can accomplish, whether it's a title, a career, an industry, whatever the case might be. And you come to find out that like when you when you go to the core of who people are, they can actually accomplish great things if they're given that conversation like Adam had by a leader, if they're brought into a way of doing but but you've seen examples of that too, where you have the raw goods and the materials in people and trying to figure out how to bring the best out of them. It's interesting as I think about my career and you were talking kind of about your journey, Adam. I kind of grew up my career in this authoritarian, policy driven you know, top-down leadership role. And I, I can't necessarily say that I had that one manager that showed me the way that it should be done, but I certainly learned a lot about how it shouldn't be done. It's been interesting at first person seeing these employees that have so much potential and all they need is is someone to kind of give them that conversation and that nudge and give that from a position of vulnerability, sharing, you know, the struggles that I've been through in my career, being open and and sort of giving that mantra that, you know, it's okay if you make a mistake, you don't have to be perfect to grow, to grow your career and get that next title. So uh, it's, it's been such a journey for first person, especially over this period of COVID to watch people sort of blossom into the things that they're really good at and sort of nurture that. Leading authentically, I think Matt and Adam is something that you talk a lot about in the book, Adam, and obviously we, we sort of dive into a little bit. The other idea is that that concept of self-reflection and being, you know, how, how do you as an individual come to grips with certain types of things? And part of that is the self-reflection side. The other part of that is how do you solicit feedback? How, how do you get yourself in a position where you can start to learn and try and better yourself? Which, by the way, feedback is probably one of the more uncomfortable words. There's like this, you cringe when you start to think about feedback. What does that mean? Is somebody judging me? How does that how do you reconcile through that in your career, Adam? How has feedback and self-reflection allowed you to go further? I think starting with self-reflection, because there's a chapter in this, my favorite part of the book is on what I call centeredness. And it is tied to this, like leading as your whole authentic self. But at the root of it is someone who, you know, if you think about a traditional manager, what happens is they're the top performer on a team. They haven't likely displayed any skills that ac- would actually show them that they'd be good at management. They just happen to be the best person and they naturally get the job. And that's happening all across the country and it's wreaking havoc on companies. But that new manager for the very first time, they carry with them all of those bad managers from their past. And they also now are experiencing role power in a way they've never experienced. Like their former fellow coworkers now interact with them in fundamentally different ways. And something happens like we all have, I think, an imposter syndrome. Like, I mean, I deal with, I still deal with that all the time. Asking questions like, if this falls apart, am I a failure? You know, like, am I a failure? Is this real? Am I, who am I fooling right now? You know, like, it's just a constant narrative. And we all deal with that. And then one of the ways that people make up for that is they put on a show. <laughs> they show up and they act more confident than they are. And so, and then what happens when a new manager acts more confident than they are, like they have all the answers, They're thinking they're impressing their team, but they're actually doing the opposite. They're creating environments where their team who knows what the issues are don't feel safe sharing them with the person who thinks they hold all the answers. And so why this self-reflection thing matters is when that moment happens is that new managers, I mean, thousands, I've had thousands of conversations of new, new leaders who basically burn fields in their wake only to look back at the charred field. And truly growing in leadership means 
gaining in your awareness of when that's happening. Candidly, I don't think any of us can get away from like, we're going to burn a little bit of the field during the process, but you can stop it. If you're, if you grow in your self-awareness, you can kind of give yourself space when those moments are happening. And then the other part of that is as a new leader is, do you have people in your life who will tell you what those areas are? Like early in leadership, this is one of the beautiful parts about being in leadership is you get to grow so much in your own self-awareness. Like if you're willing to let people tell you the truth of who you are, you'll actually get to learn about how you show up in the world and how you show up on your team. And, and so growing in that will really unlock, I mean, your own development, but also how your team performs as well. It's interesting you say that. I, I've always thought about a line like it's tough to have perspective in the moment perspective generally comes with time. But to your point, the closer, the the tighter you can shorten that and the more you can realize things that are happening in the moment or near the moment, the more likely you are to be able to have that self-reflective moment and change course and not do the thing that you're going to regret in you know months time or a few months time. It is interesting to see that. Matt, I know that feedback's been an important word for you too. What you've seen, not only is the person giving the feedback, but how do you receive the feed, you know, both, both sides of the coin, right? Yeah, I think so often it's hard for people to hear that feedback. So there's all these resources and all these tools out there to give people feedback. What I feel like ultimately happens is people can listen to it, but they sort of feel attacked. And while they want to grow and they want to learn better, they also ultimately want to be accepted for who they are right now. So when you hear that feedback and it's contrary to what you've been doing, it can be really hard to react and and take that positively. So we are engaging on a, a journey this year with what it means to receive feedback and grow from that. So you think about, you know, you learn something and then being able to lead through that and make course adjustments through the feedback you receive. You're, you're only going to grow stronger with that. It's been interesting to watch people grow when they truly, when the light bulb goes on about, oh, you're, you're not actually attacking what I'm doing. This is a genuine attempt to help me grow in my career. I might add one thing there too, man. I love what you're doing, by the way. I think that is like, that will pay dividends for, for, for you all. Like one of the things I think about with feedback is that if you think about the modern workforce today, like why we're all having this conversation is that command and control industrial revolution employees cared about pay, comp, benefit, stability, like that was the realm. And HR followed. We're all administrative cogs, basically. New school, workforce today now cares about leadership, authenticity, the purpose of the business, and professional growth and development. Is that person growing? The reality is to actually grow, you have to get feedback. But New leaders or like leaders often aren't consistent with feedback. And so what makes feedback feel heavy is when it's inconsistent. Like there is nothing worse than getting feedback from a person who doesn't normally give you feedback. It feels so heavy and it's uncomfortable, but employees are craving it. But the way to do it is create safe containers with steadiness, right? And if you can do that, then you can really like, I've actually been surprised how often if if an employee, like one of the rules on my team is always, the employee and I always can name the one most critical area where we're challenging that person to grow. And if we have that named, the whole thought of like generate like millennials always needing the next promotion, like I think people would be surprised if the employee feels like they're growing and developing. Like that is actually the thing behind that promotion is that. By the way, as a millennial, I have a sixth place ribbon. Everybody thinks that millennials always want trophies and things like that. I'm not proud of that moment for the record. I'm not proud of that, Adam. So I, I get you. What did you get the sixth place in? 
I think there were five runners in track in middle school. And I think I got the courtesy sixth. (laughs) I I agree with you. Like the stereotypes of what people want for millennials that became tired, I think, because, you know, you're not really digging to the root cause of that. Let me ask you this feedback. You just talked about getting feedback that is from somebody that's inconsistent or doesn't usually get feedback. Do you have an example, Adam, in your life of a situation where somebody's tried to give you feedback or you feel like you've yearned for feedback, just anything that you look back on and you're like, I got this feedback. It was tough to receive, but it was probably fair. Here's how it made me a better professional. It made me a better person that I I grew as a result of that. I didn't know this question was coming. So I'm just going <laughs> to, I like that. This is a good, this is a deep, deep question. This gets real. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you have like a co-founder, like that relationship is pretty vulnerable, you know, and I started, so this is my second business with my business partner, Santiago. And I, I can think of two specific moments. I'm going to write them down so I don't forget here. The very first was, so he, he was a week out of college and we started our first business together and I'd never led a business and, you know, we just both had an idea and we're sitting at his kitchen table we have one customer that he had, and I just built a list of people to cold call. They were just like cities in Florida. And the very first person I called picked up the phone. I haven't ever really cold called prior to this. And I totally bombed the call. <laughs> like, it was so bad. He just looks at me, he just goes, man, that was really bad. <laughs> I was like, that was bad. But what was cool is we both just sat there and he was like, so what can we do to make it better? And like, actually, I mean, that was the very first call I made, but that laid the foundation of a year of the two of us, like having a person in your life who sees your potential, like he truly believes in me, still does to this day, like genuinely believes in who I am and my ability. And I believe in him. And it creates this honesty of like, so that perpetuated into we'd go into a face-to-face meeting and he'd be like, hey, can I give you some feedback maybe for the next time? And I'd be like, yeah, same. Can I do the same for you? And what that has done is just, I feel like we have both made each other so much better because we both know we care about the other person enough. And we both know that by making each other better, it actually helps both of us. That's probably been the healthiest version of it. There's times where it's been hard. Like there was a season where he sat down with me. I was in a really distracted phase. We were growing quickly, but it was also incredibly taxing and stressful for me. And he said, in executive meetings, you're distracted. You don't act like this is your first team. And you are still just managing to your own team. That was hard to hear. I am a pleaser. That one was one that was really specific that actually helped me level up too. I think it helped me flip my mindset of like, as the company scales, I need to rethink where, like, what is important. And, and there are other fat, like at, jobs change and evolve. And in that moment, I think he, he was saying like, hey, we need you here on this team too. And we need you to add value on this team. Those are a couple examples. And Adam, what's interesting about those is both as the giver and the receiver of the feedback, one would think that there's anxiety about that. So if you're in your shoes, it's like, oh my gosh, that's difficult feedback to receive. I feel like, what are the other people in the room thinking about me now? Are people talking? And you look at what's happened as a result of that and you've been able to use it as a positive and you've been able to grow from it. And it's been something you're appreciative of. Like, I'm glad somebody said something. So I'm not just going around doing the same thing that people are talking about. And on the other side, from Santi's perspective, like, you know, you're giving the feedback and that's uncomfortable to get ready to give, right? You're about to give your co-founder uncomfortable feedback and you're worried about the impact of that. And yet on the other side of it, when you get to the other side of it, it's like, oh my God, I'm so glad I said that because look how much more we can accomplish. 
it's interesting to see how a lot of times you build so much of that up in your head, the worst case scenario that you think is going to play out isn't what actually plays out most of the time. I think that's tough for people. Let's talk a little about 2020. Can you hear my dog? Yeah, I was gonna, yeah your, dog, your dog heard me in 2020 and started howling. I got my dog like the very first week of COVID, like right when it started. So she was a puppy. And right now I'm home. My boys are doing school. I have no idea what's happening downstairs right now. You're in that closet, right? You're in the... Yeah, I'm in, yeah. it looks like a TV studio. I try to pretend like it does, but really it's a, just a closet. It's five yeah. by five. It's, you've dressed it up nicely. It's, it, yeah, it's, it's five by five with a plant. <laughs> <laughs> that plant better not grow or you may be overtaken. In that <laughs> You're right. And so 2020 has been such a challenging year for so many reasons. Obviously, uh, the pandemic has affected people from a physical health perspective, a mental health perspective, it's been so challenging. And I think, you know, businesses for uh, now the last six months or so have really tried to figure out how do we both support employees and have resolve as an organization, right? So how do we help our employees go through that their own life journey with that? You've done a lot of writing this year about trends you're seeing evolve out of this year. And I think there's a lot of questions right now, Adam, how much of it is going back to the way things were versus accelerating change and opening up new ways of doing business and working with teams? Obviously, your book's very fitting, but what has this year in particular taught you about the spirit of resolve and what do you anticipate to see moving forward? Yeah, that's a big question. I don't think things are going to move backwards. I do think this accelerated some natural change inside the workforce. Things like how we view office environments. Now, some places, you know, right away had to get back, like manufacturing environments, oftentimes like collaborative environments where they have to be present. But I think fundamentally, like asynchronous work is something that's really growing right now. And that like, I think this is really called into question, like how many meetings we have. And how we just show up to meetings that are likely unproductive or that we could have sent in a long form, like, note. <laughs> I think that will be a change. I think the challenge, like, from a leadership perspective that I've seen is that I already was convinced that before COVID, the number one issue for between managers and employees was psychological safety. It's the manager playing that that role I was talking about with the puffed up chest and not creating environments where the employee feels like they can bring things up that are sincere. I don't know how to do this task, whatever it may be, or here's a broken thing I, I'm not talking about. And physical distance has not made that better. <laughs> if anything, because there was there were these moments that used to happen, like a hallway conversation or just a, a look of kindness that now a lot of the relationships at, at work are very transactional. And so there's going to have to be new intentionality on how you create safety inside of environments, how you resolve conflict, all of those things I'm seeing right now. Matt, you've talked a lot about psychological safety as something that you sense. And I, I think that's a really good point, Adam. It's only made things more difficult because I think people have traditionally managed based on visibility, right? I see people doing this. And now I don't see them doing that. As a result, how can they be as productive in the organization? Like it's managed by visibility. When you strip that away, then you've got to manage differently. Things that probably should have been in place to begin with, but now are getting exposed in a different way. For us, our journey to COVID remote work, 
you know, obviously happened really, really fast. And I don't feel like we even skipped a beat. What's been interesting is in some conversations with employees and understanding that they do have sort of that psychological safety space with me. I've tried to create that environment when, when I have conversations uh, one-on-one with folks. It's been interesting to hear, gosh, I knew that we were, you know, a flexible work environment, but I always felt like my manager expected me to be at my desk. And you know, the question would come up, but did your manager tell you that? No, no, I just, I really felt like that was how I was expected to be in my work environment. Now, fast forward to, you know, we're in September now. I have no idea what happened all these prior months, but folks just are doing their job and they're learning that proactive communication is sort of the key to success when you don't see people day to day and and you don't get that hallway conversation or that smile as someone walks through the door. And then I think there's been some intentionality in our folks finding meaningful ways to meet and connect on a social mantra and whether it's a group of people deciding, you know what, we're going to we're going to go ahead and do this meeting in person, socially distanced, you know, safe. And then afterwards we're we're going to go, you know, outside to a patio somewhere and and grab some apps and a couple cocktails. And and getting to connect on a more personal level to remember that work isn't just transactional. We're still people. We still have to be our authentic selves and sort of remember what it was like to be around people. It's been quite the journey, and I'm quite proud of the team that we have and being super intentional about that as, as we're trying to, to find whatever this new normal or this new way of working is. There were unspoken rules in offices, all of our offices that were that now are being spoken, like the pressure to show up at a desk, whether or not it was named or not, the freedom to take vacation or time off. That was a big issue we had at the start of COVID. None of our employees would take time off. And then, of course, we're an engagement measurement company. And we can see from the data that our entire workforce is dramatically burnt out and it's actually hurting our performance. But this shift of like from outcomes to hours, like everybody moved to where you have to trust the people. You have to focus on people's work, not on when they're showing up. And this is a bit of a tangent, but I just like the story, just like you asked, have you ever received like feedback? Here's a time I got feedback that was really typifies this whole experience. So not my finest job, had kids, got like an entry-level job. I was working as an academic advisor, had a, a manager who was not very strong and or a leader who wasn't very strong. And so in this environment, I worked probably nine, 90 minutes a day, and I played fantasy football for six and a half hours a day, right? But the- Did you win? I did, yes. I, yes, too much. I won too much, actually. I got a little too into it. I had to take a break. But one day, my manager comes to me and says, hey, Adam, I just am going to give you a tip that you're going to value for the rest of your career, okay? When the boss comes into the office, she comes in at 9 or 8.15 every morning, Get yourself here at 812. Be in the door in your seat before she gets here. And then I want you to leave. She leaves at at 505 every day. I want you to leave at 510 and just see what happens, which worked, by the way. This person went from thinking I was a bad employee to a good employee, even though I was only working 90 minutes a day, all because of the perception or the mirage of the desk. Isn't that like a Seinfeld episode where George Costanza has like he parks in the lot and then gets all those tickets so that he thinks Steinbrenner and the boss thinks that he's at Yankee Stadium all the time just because he's parking his car there on the weekends. You know, I mean, it, it, how true is that? We've all, we've all seen that happen. And it's like, how do people know that I'm there? In that example, it's visibility. That's how you got started. Matt, Matt, you know, you hit on something there interesting too, Adam, the PTO idea and like taking time off. And we've had a lot of conversations with clients about unlimited PTO, 
the values of it, the challenges with it. And I know it's something that a lot of employers face. Matt, how have you worked through that with obviously our team and clients as well? It's been interesting. I think to kind of tie it together here, you mentioned, Adam, a lot of visibility. So we, we became really meeting heavy, especially in the Zoom realm. And we did two things around time, right about the same time. One was the idea of flexible PTO. So unlimited has such a like bad connotation that we decided let's, let's use the word flexible because that's really what it is. You self-manage your time, take the time that you need and allow yourself to be able to show up in the time and in the space that you need to. And I think the key to our flexible PTO policy has been sort of the idea of minimums. You must take so much time per quarter and you must take so much time per year. If you want to take more, we encourage you to. But all this is handled through, you know, an open, honest communication. So the idea behind flexible PTO is, is again, taking the time that you need so that you can, we have three words around it, rest, relax, recharge, and get yourself back in the right frame of mind. Because anyone who is working, you know, we, we all, our team is, is a bunch of hard workers. And while we don't pride ourselves on the number of hours we put in, we certainly need to remember to take the time to do those relaxing and, and recharging. The other thing we did is being so meeting heavy across the firm, we, we decided, and it's very similar to your idea of no Fridays in May, we instituted a universal focus time. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, there are two hours that is a block of time that no meetings can be scheduled, no calls can take place, you can't interrupt other employees, it is your time to really focus and, and be able to accomplish tasks. Because I think with the, the meeting heaviness that we have, you get stuck in the starting and stopping work mode, which is so unproductive. You can't finish a thought, you can't finish an idea. And the single most impactful things we've done during COVID and remote work has, has been embracing these two themes. One is you know that flexible time, take the time that you need so that you can show up in the right way, and then block yourself and use that time to focus on work. And it has been so meaningful to our people. I really like the uh, universal focus time. We've wrestled with this same issue. I mean, as it, you kind of you shared that four day work week, you know, we we got to this spot because when COVID first hit, we we basically stopped all development to build a COVID specific well being assessment, gave it free to the market, and it was a huge lift because we built it in two weeks. And the whole company goes, "That's what caused kind of the the burnout." People are alive and they're really excited, but they're also like, "I can't actually take a break right now because we're fighting for our business." And you basically named this, but like, I think what we recognized is, yes, we've always had this like unlimited PTO policy, but it's not unlimited if people don't feel comfortable or like encouraged to take it. And so our initial thing was that four days just in May, just to create space and organization candidly for people to take time off. It's hard to take time off, especially then when there was nowhere to go. But like moving forward, very similar to what you're doing, it's flexible, but we have some mandatory minimums that we, you know, and then so we're basically doing mandatory minimums and then amplifies average. So we share what kind of we expect the average person, you know, kind of here's the range and then here's here's the minimum. I'm eager to see it's too early to, to know how it will go, but I think it's a step in the right direction. By the way, that LinkedIn post you had, Adam, that talked about Fridays in May, 91,000 engagements on that. You went viral. Crazy. 
I don't know what happened. It had five and a half million views and like almost a hundred thousand likes. And I, I didn't proofread it before I posted it. And so, so like immediately, as soon as I posted it, it went crazy. And I was like, I had to like go to our marketing team and be like, can somebody help me rewrite this thing? I didn't expect this to happen. Yeah. But you know what the thing is? It's not like I have some big LinkedIn following or anything like that. I don't. It tapped in to a thing that everyone was feeling. It was not just our company. Like every single person, no matter their role goes, I am feeling a level of tired I have never felt and I don't feel seen. And there was something in it that helped, that made people feel a little bit seen, I think. It was really a really cool experience. I mean, when you have that many engagements, I was getting messages from people all over the world. And I, you know, in a time when you feel so isolated, when you literally work in a closet, I felt this deep connection to like the entire world, you know, to the entire workforce of people going like, Hey, I feel this too. Like this is, this is hard. It was definitely like a a once in a lifetime experience. I, I, I won't soon forget. That's for sure. The step one for anybody listening right now is to go to Amazon and to buy lead like a human practical steps to building highly engaged teams for you, your immediate family, your friends, your friends, friends, just keep buying those books and supporting Adam. But if you're in HR right now, Adam, and you're, you're in that seat and you say, these are great topics. Like I want to get people to lead more authentically. I want to find ways to drive better feedback in the organization. I want to drive better ways to help folks with their self-reflection and become, how do you get started? How do you get started today? If you were to say, here are the two or three things you need to do as a leader in your organization to start to go down this path, what would that look like? The book basically has six steps that it lays out. If I were to say how, how to get started, it is really acknowledging that transition from administrative HR to strategic HR. And then it's the bones or the first three steps, right? Are Do you have mechanisms in place inside your organization to develop the self-awareness of your leaders? Does your company have a purpose that is clear and activated? Not one that's sitting on a shelf dusty. Like, are you celebrating the purpose? Do you bring that purpose back to life for the employees? Like, does each employee, even the ones who have jobs that are pretty thankless, like, do they understand how their role ties back to the the overall company purpose and why the company exists in the world? And then probably the same with values. Are the values, like, not just known, but are they lived? Are they activated? Are they talked about? Like, those are, I would say, just the bones to start. That's kind of the, the starting point. Matt, what's your experience that you would say, hey, what I've learned in in this chief people officer role, here's something I think that could be a quick way to start. You bring up a good point about the core values. So often they're just this set of words listed on a wall somewhere or on the website. We've become very intentional about talking about the core values and relating a lot of discussions back to whether it's a single theme for a meeting or giving kudos to to fellow employees around a core value and, and why that's so meaningful. It begins to become ingrained in people. So I would absolutely echo the sentiment that you've got to get those core values out. They have to be something you live. It's almost like this is the way we go about accomplishing this bigger goal. We're going to make sure that we include links not only to Adam's book, but also to Amplify, who's an absolute leader in the engagement space and does phenomenal work for companies of all sizes. And it has really been a terrific thought leader during this very tumultuous year. So Adam, your team's to be absolutely commended on the job, the quick reaction and and the work you've done since then. I'm not letting you get out of here without asking one question. You and I have never talked about this. On your bio, which people always include something kind of fun or, you know, unique. 
you've obviously got a wonderful family, this great outdoors nature, but backyard bird watching is something I've never seen as like a tidbit in somebody's bio. Somebody likes birds or likes, you know, being a birder or something like that. Backyard, the specificity of that. Do you have some specific cardinals or robins or things like that in the backyard? Well, how, how does that turn into something for you? You know, it is one, it's a great COVID hobby, by the way, but I got into it like two years ago because there's this really cool connection with like your home feels so urban or like, like modernized. And yet when you backyard bird watch it, actually, I love nature and it actually is a really simple way to connect you back to nature and remind yourself that there's like creation that happens all around you. And there's like life and vibrancy that happens all around you. I've gotten pretty intense about it. I think I've got six feeders right outside my porch. Uh, and I sit out there most, most mornings and uh, enjoy the birds. But there's all kinds. But cardinals are my favorite just because I am a Ball State grad. And so there's a special place in my heart for that too. Chirp, chirp. What a tie-in to wrap us up there, Adam. And I'd love to at some point come over and, and check it out. So it'll be fun. You are welcome. And I'll be sending you both a picture here now that now that you know about it. So uh, in the next 15 minutes, check your text. We will link everything, we'll Adam, including the picture for folks. And Adam Weber, we really appreciate your time. Congratulations on writing your new book and all the great work at Amplify. Thank you both so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks, Adam. For Matt Henry, our Chief People Officer, I'm Mark Minner, President of First Person. Appreciate you tuning in for this episode of Human Resolve. Thanks so much for learning with us today. Did you enjoy the episode? Please share it along with someone you think would appreciate it. Subscribe and stay ahead of the curve with notifications of new episodes. Join the conversation and let us know what you think by tagging FirstPersonBA and using hashtag HumanResolve on social media. Oh.